uh, Eric has been administrating everything related to the Wednesday noon lunches now for about a year. That's why we've done series. Eric likes to do series. So now we're on a series that has to deal, has to do with how does everything that Jesus accomplished in his life and death and resurrection apply to us directly and personally, and then how does that affect the way as Christians we personally live in the world? So today we're looking at the idea that Jesus is our Redeemer. Now, from that comes the doctrine that we call the doctrine of redemption. Now, we've been singing all our lives about this, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. The song, There is a Redeemer, Jesus Christ, well, it goes on and on. So many songs about this idea. Probably 30 years ago, the idea that this would be a good, um, as it were, name for a church began to catch fire. And so now in, in churches all across the country, you, you're, it's not uncommon to find uh, brand new churches and the name of the church is Redeemer. So you'll find that as a common thread today. Now, if we want to get the handle on the word Redeemer uh, and redemption, I think it's important that we think of it in relationship to the big words that are surrounding it. We get into the negative side of why we need redemption. There's words that would be like bondage and slavery and curse. These are the things that require redemption. Then there is the means by which redemption is secured for us. And, and this centers around basically Jesus' blood or Jesus' death, then what does that mean, Jesus' blood and death? Well, in this case, in the doctrine of re redemption, we actually have a word that defines that, and it says that his death and his blood was a ransom. Now, that's a, these are very strong words, and they are here to give us a great sense of the things that were the need of our redemption, the great sense that this could only be accomplished at great price, and then the sense that this has a great outcome because as a result of it, we are redeemed. We have forgiveness, and I think we gloss over that word too lightly, but forgiveness, consummate, total forgiveness. The words liberty the Bible uses in reference to the outcome. The words release are used. And so when we look at this, we begin to see that we go from being slaves in bondage to being sons and children of God. Now this is the basic ideas that we find here. Now. There's a famous verse that Mark gives us, and then it looks like later on 
Matthew just basically captures that verse and uses it itself. And it's called the ransom verse. And it's Mark 10.45. So you can look at the clock and say it's 10.45. Mark 10.45. That's where it's at. So it says, Jesus says this about himself. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Giving his life as a ransom for many. Now, in Colossians, Paul picks this up, and in chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, it says of Jesus, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sin. Now you see the movement here. A domain of darkness, we're through the blood of Christ moved into the kingdom of God's dear Son, in which we become the children of God. Now that's basically the idea of redemption. Now when we talk about redemption, and we begin with this whole aspect of thinking about it, it's a human problem that requires a divine intervention. And the divine intervention comes to us by a person, Jesus, who is a divine human person. And that divine human person, as the result of his work, brings into our human lives the Holy Spirit, and we become people who are possessed by God, and we become people that have many of the benefits of the Son of Jesus, therefore we receive eternal life. We begin to have a human life that has in it a divine power working in us. Therefore, we need to be thinking about how do we live as human people with God's divine power, the Holy Spirit, living in us. We need to live out our redemption. Now, when we talk about this beginning idea of bondage and slavery, you, you begin to see that this in the Bible begins with an idea that is very physical. So, when we talk about this, how does a person come into slavery? How does a person come into bondage? Well, one of the reasons and one of the manners in which this takes place is a person is taken prisoner. And that person is taken prisoner in some way and then possibly kept in bondage or sold. Sold as a slave. And so if you remember one of the early stories in the book of Genesis is the story of Joseph. Joseph took his brother, sold them him. The people that took him, the Midianites, took him to Egypt, and he was sold again to Potiphar, and he became Potiphar's slave. And so what did Joseph need? He needed a redeemer. He needed redemption. 
So you could be born into slavery. Later on, you see that Joseph brings the family of Jacob into Israel. They're there, if you count Joseph's years there, it becomes 430 years. So for 430 years, it says, my people were slaves in Egypt. What's the song say? Let, let my people go. That's the old spiritual. Let my people go. So this idea of redemption and redemption in reference to people has always been a biblical theme. Now, you begin to see that it's not just something of a historical nature. It's something that is very valid today. Now, um, I'm trying to be careful about the number of illustrations because it's going to eat up my clock. But when Stalin took over in the Soviet Union, he had to have a labor force to do all the projects that he wanted. And so he enslaved one aspect of the Russian population after another, and they remained in slavery uh, really until the fall of the Iron Curtain. If you remember, one of their redeemers was the literary genius Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He had been one of these slaves, and so he continued to write about this. You see it in the issues that are involved in our international affairs today with the concern for basic human rights. So you see this in our concern for the way people are being treated in places like North Korea, in China, in Cuba, in other parts of the world. These people are basically being held against their will. So we see this. Now today in our own culture, you see aspects of this that are going to now move more from a physical to more of an interpersonal and spiritual nature. So people that don't have very much, oftentimes needing money, maybe they've got a car that's free and clear, so what do they do? They take their title and they pawn the title. And what is it to get your title back? You have to redeem it by paying a price. And this is a bondage. It's not merely a service because the people that take and give you the money hope you won't be able to come back real quick. They don't want you to. If you go down and get one of these uh, pay-as-you-go used cars, that's basically another form of it. You, you don't have any money to buy a car, so you go and they give you a car for a very little amount of money. The car price is already inflated, but on top of that is a huge amount of interest, and it keeps people in bondage. Remember the song from the 50s? I owe my soul to the company store. That was the way, it, this stuff is still here. So you see this. All right, here's a person that's in pain. Now, I don't think a doctor intends it, but what ends up happening is 
maybe the doctor gives and the patient abuses and pretty soon they're in bondage to pain meds. This happens. Um, you have people today that it's talking about addictions. People are addicted, bound by alcohol, bound by drugs, bound by food, bound by pornography. Now me, I've dealt with people that are in bondage to anger. Just to be honest, they're not going to have a good day unless they can express themselves when you don't want to be around. <laughs> but that's the way they live. Now, what I've tried to do is take this from something that is concrete and physical and move it increasingly into a spiritual area. Now, as you move into this spiritual area, and you begin to see all of these things are a result of man's fall, that all of us are in bondage because of sin. We're in bondage to Satan, to sin, to death, and in the book of Galatians, it talks about those people that would try to save themselves by their good works. They're in bondage to the law of God. Now, that's a misuse of that law. But nonetheless, people that try to save themselves that way, Paul says, are in bondage. So you have the whole idea here of bondage. It's a historic problem. It's a contemporary problem. Now, let's ask this question spiritually. How many people are affected? How many people are affected spiritually by spiritual bondage to sin, Satan, and death? What's Paul say? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it affects all of us. Something we need to know about. All right, redemption. In the Old Testament, God acted as his people's redeemer. Israel was enslaved to Pharaoh. God sent Moses. Moses came and became their redeemer and led them out. Now remember what? He led them out of slavery and he led them out into the freedom. Ultimately, the goal was to go into the land of promise. A glorious land, a land flowing with, you see here, you see the dimension here of movement. That was the idea. Now, you see that the people of God in the promised land constantly rebelled against God, and God disciplined them by putting them back into bondage, and God sent judges, and the judges defeated the enemy and were the redeemer of God's people. Now, this idea got really embedded into the Old Testament mentality, but even more so when they looked at their own societal structure. How many tribes were there? Twelve. One of those tribes was taken as a redemption price of the rest of the nation. What tribe was taken as a redemption price for the other 11 tribes? tribe of Levi. The Levites were the redemption of all the other people. Now, this was going back to the death of the firstborn coming out of Egypt, and God said, now sanctify to me the Levites as your redemption for all the firstborn. 
Um, Jesus was affected by this. When his mother and father went to the temple some 40 days after he was born, they gave a, pri a price of his redemption, five shekels. Every firstborn male was to do that. That was to be done for him. And so it was done for Jesus. So this idea of redemption coming and deliverance coming and coming by someone that God sent was ingrained into their mind. Now, go to Jesus' death. Think of Easter Sunday. Now think about Jesus meeting up with the two men that are on the road to Emmaus. He comes alongside and he says, "Why are you? what are you talking about? Why are you so sad? And they said, well, we're sad over Jesus, who is a prophet of God, mighty in power, and we thought it was he who was going to what? Israel. Remember? Redeem Israel. Now what did they think? Redeem Israel from the tyranny of Rome. Make Israel back into its glory days. All right? Even the disciples. Now we're 40 years, 40 days after the resurrection. Jesus is getting ready to depart to go into heaven bodily. And the disciples ask Jesus, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You hear the same idea? Make Israel great again. Even at that point, this was not really clear. Now what is Jesus always saying about his ministry and mission? It's not of this world. So something's going on here with Jesus that is not the way the people of Israel thought about it at that time. Now, when we look at this whole aspect of things, I want to introduce an idea here that's called a narrative, the history that you and I know about all of these things. Then I want to talk to you about something that's called the meta-narrative. That is something that God has thrown alongside this narrative of history that's his work. So you're going to have the narrative, these are the facts that you know, and then there's the meta-narrative, that's what God's doing in the world. And we need to be aware that this is always going on. And so you've got the narrative and history of bondage of humans against other humans in the need of a physical redeemer to deliver those human people from their enslavement to other human people. And then you've got the meta-narrative that's going along in history all, all along, that there is a spiritual bondage that affects every single person that's born, and they need a redeemer, and that redeemer is the person of Jesus Christ. So according to the scripture, mankind has fallen into a enslavement to Satan, to sin, and to death, and mankind's need is that of a divine redeemer 
to rescue and to pay the price of their redemption, a ransom price, and to set them free and to ex restore them to the original intent that God had for them through Jesus' instruction, Jesus' discipleship, and Jesus' power and grace. Now, people in Christian organizations have always tried to capture this idea that there is history and then there is the service that Christians are to bring about in history directly in their service to God. A number of you are familiar with Bellhaven College in Jackson, Mississippi. Now, if you were to look at their motto, it's in Latin, unfortunately, and I won't bother you with the in Latin, but what it translates into English is this. The college's position was not to be ministered unto, but to minister. That the goal would be that the people that came through the doors of that college would learn that life for them was not that life was to minister to them, but as they went forth in life, they were to be God's instruments of ministry wherever they went. That's the goal. That's really the goal that we need to embrace. That's very different from the me generation and all of that kind of stuff where we think just about ourselves. We're now thinking about others. And that comes from this idea of what God is doing in the world in redemption. Now, when we look at this, we've talked about a number of passages. Now, I want to kind of, again, stay with this idea of the narrative and the meta-narrative. In 1 John chapter 2, here's what John writes. I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Then in verse 15, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is in them. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of not life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Now you get a sense here that there is the narrative of the world in the sense of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. People live that way. What are we told? We're told we've got to live totally above that. We've got to live in the meta-narrative of what God's doing. Now, we tend to look at the world and say that's what's real, and we look at the things of the spiritual, and we begin to think that's almost otherworldly. But what we end up seeing is, according to John, which gets his doctrine directly from Jesus, there's nothing permanent in this world. The only things that are permanent are those things that are spiritual and those things that have given to us and are realized by God's power. So this whole idea of redemption has got to affect our thinking while we're in the world 
about what God's done for us to take us to his world. Then we've got to think of ourselves as we're alive here in this world, but we're alive in this world to God's world. And that allows us to rise above all of the stuff that holds people in bondage. So we've got to think about this. This is what one man who spoke here years ago, about 1973, called True Truth. This was the man Francis Schaeffer. Human bondage is passing away. We've got to understand that. That's a part of this world. And spiritual and divine redemption is growing in this world as this world is passing away. And the ultimate redemption is going to be, it is currently realized and it will be finalized. It doesn't look that way, but that's the way it is. Now, here's an illustration. Here is an Australian park ranger. He's been away from his cabin in the outback for over a month. He comes up in his Jeep. As he's getting out of his Jeep, he's kind of got some kind of a sixth sense. Something's not right. So he's kind of, the hair's up on the back of his neck. He's just not, something's not right. So he walks up to his cabin, and as he reaches for the door, he just decides to open it. So he opens the door, and he looks in. Now, this is a man's trained eyes, and instantly sees the problem. There has been one of these huge anaconda water snakes that's gotten into the house, and it's draped over the central beam in the cabin that he's about to enter. So he closes the door, he goes back to the Jeep, and he pulls out a high-caliber automatic pistol. He slowly opens the door, he takes aim, and he plugs that anaconda right in the head, and he closes the door. Now what happens next? All hell breaks loose. And it goes on for a number of minutes. Is that huge snake in its death throes is writhing, and the sinew and muscle is just going everywhere. After a number of minutes, there's silence. He opens the door. The serpent's dead, and the interior of the cabin is in shambles. That's what's going on in the world right now. That's what's happening to your friends, my friends, people in this part of the world and that part of the world. The serpent's been shot, but he's still writhing. But there was coming a time when that serpent would be absolutely dead. Now, we've just got to understand this is the true truth. This is what redemption means. Now, the redemption price becomes clear because the scripture's clear. The redemption price is the blood of Jesus Christ. In, in the passage that we read in Colossians, there's a similar passage in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, where uh, Paul makes this just really clear 
And so in that passage, what Paul says is, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So if you all are worried about the Lord's Prayer and the forgiveness of sins and the forgiveness of trespasses, you see Paul introduced that he used both these words to mean the same thing. So one group says trespasses and the other people say sin, but it's the same idea. But it came through the blood of Christ or the death of Christ. So when we speak about this, this part of the doctrine is explained for us, but how does this work? Well, again, we've got to introduce another doctrine that's not very well spoken of. Now, when we speak of Jesus, we speak of that he's got two natures here. One's what? Human. The other is? Now, if he's got two personalities, he's got a home about 45 miles to the north of here, right? That's what he used to say. Well, this isn't two personalities. This is two natures. You've got a human nature in Jesus and a divine nature in Jesus. Now, the doctrine is called the communication of properties. I won't ask you how many, when was the last time you heard a discussion on the doctrine of the communication of properties. But the communication of properties is basically this, that Jesus, having two natures, first of all, as God, God cannot lie, change the L to D, God cannot die. But Jesus on the cross, what? Died. Now, did God die on the cross? No. But did the death of Jesus bring the benefits of an eternal death because of the communication of attributes? So that means one can die for, the scriptures say, all, or one can die for many, or one can die for someone else. He pays the penalty for us. The death of the, on the cross is the Son of God making payment for your sins and for my sins. Now, the other communication is this. What's the benefit of this? Well, can a human person live forever in the sense in which you're living right now? No. But because of the communication of properties, the eternal merits of God are transferred to us through the Spirit, and we become the recipients of eternal life. And all of this is called redemption. So you're redeemed from ever having to die eternally to be given the benefits through the divine Son of God to live eternally. You're delivered from the power and the penalty of sin and death through this, and you're given the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Now you have accrued to you all the benefits of a redemption. You are gloriously saved. So when we look at this, if you want to get a, a, a just another verse on this, 
Hebrews 9 verse 12 tells us it is an eternal redemption because of the communication of properties. It's an eternal redemption. No question about it being secured, but no question about it ever running out. So redemption is in Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood is our ransom price. We are redeemed. Now catch it again. From the domain of darkness, we are transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. That's happened. That is happening. And it will ultimately be realized. In this redemption, Forgiveness of sins in this redemption set free to the glorious liberty of the children of God and then ultimately to live for God's purposes. Now, you all know that there's the Ten Commandments, right? Sometimes we don't think about them, but they're there. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, this comes into play now. Because as the Ten Commandments are being given the second time by Moses, Moses is going to give the law a second time, but when he gives the Ten Commandments, he gives what's called the preface to the Ten Commandments. And that preface is really not looked at very often. But here's what was said. God said through Moses, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now the next words are, thou, what? Thou shalt, or thou shalt not. <laughs> Wait a minute, I just want to be redeemed. I don't want to have to do anything. Well, cancel that idea. Do you see how this is fitting in now? Because God is your redeemer, you will live this way and you won't live that way. That's the consequence of your redemption. You're not just redeemed to go free. You're redeemed to go free and serve the king. How about this one? For you have been bought with the price, therefore... Glorify God in your body. You hear it? You were bought with a price. Now go live like you were bought with a price. All right, one last thought here. If you eat grapes, okay? I like to see myself being a Christian. I'm eating grapes all the time. Eating grapes, eating grapes. If you eat grapes all the time, you would get filled up with what? Grapes. Therefore, when you go out into the world, you should be gracious. Now, here's the problem of Christian witness. I'm forgiven. Forgive you? <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Do you not? <laughs> you realize what you did to me? Do you think I'm going to forgive that? You've got to be kidding me. And God says, um, you realize what I did to you? So Paul can say it this 
Colossians 3.13. Forgive others even as Christ has forgiven you. You forgive one another. It's very compound, that structure of that sentence. Forgive others, even if it's for forgiven you, so you go forgive others like that. You don't hold people in bondage. Um, I used to have a lot of older people that had lived a long time in an unhappy marriage, and they had stamp collection. On the first page, this is the first thing that my husband did after we got married. See it? It's on this page. This is the stuff that he did as we went along in life. He actually went hunting on my anniversary. <laughs> Here are the children's birthdays and all the failures there. How many stamps did this woman have on this man? I got a lot of men that have got the same collection on their husbands, counting their wives. No stamp collecting in Christianity like that. No stamp collecting. We forgive others because we've been redeemed and forgiven by Christ's blood. And because of Christ's blood, we forgive how many people? Every other people. One last thought. Wherever there's bondage, we need to be appropriately involved in trying to bring physical redemption. Where people are in bondage, you see it in Joseph, you see it in Egypt, you see it in the judges. You see it from the beginning of the New Testament to the end. Christian people have always sought the release of slaves. What did President Reagan say to Mr. Gorbachev? Mr. Gorbachev, take down this wall. That's what we should be saying wherever there's bondage. That's our job. We've been redeemed. Let's pray. Father, bless us. Keep us in Christ. Help us to see these things are not just doctrines that we can own to feel good about ourselves, but they're in reality the fire that you're to put in our bones to live for the honor and glory of Christ. And we pray in his name with thanksgiving. Amen.